everyone. I have the fantastic pleasure of chatting with Jeremy Kaufman, the CEO and founder of Library. How's it going? Great to be here with you, Joel, although not under great circumstances. Yeah, so I heard, Little Birdie told me that you are one of the latest people to join that fancy new fad of being debanked. Congratulations. Round of applause. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. I'm an elite company, yeah. On a completely div uh, more serious note, um, why don't you just start telling me what happened recently? So kind of wild and completely out of the blue, although no, something I was, you know, we were certainly aware of as, as something that could happen. I'll get into that. But just got a letter in the mail from TD Bank, which my company library has been banking with for more than three years without issue. Um, millions of dollars in and out of our accounts, always carrying a substantial balance, no issues whatsoever. And it just says, uh, it's actually, it was, the opening two sentences were a beautiful uh, part of corporate speak. It said mm. something like, at TD Bank, we care a lot about keeping you informed. Today, we're writing to inform you we've closed your account. Uh, and I love that because it's like, you know, they, we can't just open with we're closing your accounts. How can we put a positive spin? Oh, we're informing you of something. That's good. Because uh, we care. Our, our, our company account. And yeah. uh, basically, as far as I can tell, uh, because they learned we are a blockchain company and deal in exchanging blockchain tokens, ne never anything we tried to hide that uh, and came to light actually because we switched a service provider that was providing some services for us. And I think that triggered them. And then they're like, oh, this is a blockchain company. And, you know, they just never asked. We just said, you know, we're a tech company. Um, they then went ahead and closed my account, um, you know, my son's account, uh, and my partner's account. So anyone that they could identify as being uh, connected to the business, they closed all of those accounts as well. And just the entire way that they do it, you know, I, I, we can get into this later and compare it to another company that also doesn't want to deal with blockchain, but did it in a much better way. Uh, that you know, it's just it's just so spine. It's I don't know. It's spineless. It's it's sad. It and it shows the need to to uh, you know build up alternatives and escape uh, the, you know, from being trapped in this world. Yeah. So it was the company accounts, but then also the personal accounts. So first off, I mean, I understand. I, I think it's completely ridiculous the whole the whole situation the company thing at least i can understand in a way of oh yeah you guys you don't like we don't want to be involved in that business but as far as i know like the personal accounts have nothing to do with blockchain or crypto or anything and that seems a little bit strange although i'm sure you are paid by the company for those personal accounts right yes although and I'd have to double check on this. I think it's still going through an intermediary. I think it goes through our payroll. I don't know if it comes through directly as an account to account transfer or, there, or there's an intermediary. But yes, I get paid from the company. So. And so that that's the for all all three personal accounts shut down. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So that's that must be it. It's like it's not that we don't want to deal with a blockchain company. I think it seems like some sort of a fear that there's something sketchy about the money, that the money's not okay that's coming in. It's not the fact that, you know, that seems to be the line of thinking, even though I'm sure that's just more of an excuse line of thinking than the real one. Well, I think it's a tough situation. I, I, look, I, I think their behavior sucks for some reasons I, I can get into. Uh, to be mildly sympathetic, because I deal with this in another capacity, Deal, you, 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 you deal with government regulations, and it is very difficult to tell how they apply to you. 
Uh, a hmm. lot of these regulations are quite vague in terms of understanding, well, what do I actually have to specifically do to make sure that I'm following the law? One of the laws that these banks face is this know your customer anti-money laundering stuff. And so they have this obligation to effectively proactively be the police. They have to proactively be policing their customers. They, they are to do the job of the federal government and catch people that the federal government thinks is breaking the law. And they have to do this for free. And, you know, one of the things that they want to do is they want to avoid getting the, the government saying to them, coming to them and saying, well, you're not doing a good job catching criminals. We're going to find you. And you can see this. Banks have been fined billions of dollars for not, uh, not investigating their customers. It's just like crazy, right? <laughs> like we're asking yeah. folks to be the police. So one of the things a company does is they try to produce enforcement actions that say, look, we were really trying. Look at these guys. And they don't even care so much as to whether that was like accurate or not. They, they want to be able to say, oh, no, look, we were really trying. Look at all these ones that we did. And so they actually have an incentive to produce enforcement actions when they ha there's a plausible reason to produce them so they can cover their own butt uh, to some extent. Yeah, that's pretty crazy to think about, but yeah. it does sort of make sense. And I have noticed this, that there's a lot of um, law, as it were, tends to be pretty specific, but a lot of regulations that aren't necessarily like written by lawmakers themselves have a lot of leeway. And I think that there's it's on on purpose. And I've noticed this with like the SEC trying to say what is a security and what isn't a security and how stingy they are with no action letters is they don't want to just tell people that they're in the clear. They always like reserve the right in the back of their head that if I need to smack this guy down, we still can because we didn't say we weren't going to do that. Uh, yeah, I mean, these these organizations, the other, you know, another, I think, mistake that um, we can make sometimes when we think about this, I mean, they're not even coherent in and of themselves because they all, they're all facing different incentives of the individuals inside and the bosses and whatever. You have the head of the SEC right now saying, you know, here's how we'd like to you know, treat these so-called utility tokens while they're simultaneously prosecuting dozens, if not hundreds of companies for doing the exact thing that they're saying, this is what's going to be okay. It's, it doesn't make any sense. Yes, of course. And that's, um, why do you think this kind of thing happens? Let's say more taking it back to the whole bank thing. Why do you think that banks are kind of allergic to crypto? Is it just that whole money laundering thing? They just, they, they see a crypto token thing and they think, oh, that's that dark web money. We better be really careful and punish some people. Or do you, th do you think there's any ulterior motive? I, I, you know, I, I think it's decently likely that it's a little that it's multifaceted. Um, I would probably put the predominance of the reason as as concerns around KYC AML stuff, but I don't think the banks like it. I don't think they like crypto. I mean, they want to make money, and the thing is, you know, at the end of the day, crypto is something that's bought and sold and behaves the way that a lot of financial markets do. So, so you've got banks, and this is even true of TD Bank. Someone posted this. You know, the TD Bank is actively selling and exchanging cryptocurrencies itself while simultaneously shutting down people who are doing it. And so it's even at the same thing as the SEC. You've got this multi, you've got this giant corporation with a bunch of different people inside of it. You've got different and parts of the same company doing two entirely different things. Yeah, it's it might be a, like an anti-competitive type thing. Like you might think I, I have noticed that, for example, that a lot of advertisers, not just in crypto, but in comp other completely different fields on what YouTube, on Facebook, on uh, Instagram, all those have cra have been cracked down on because 
they were circumventing the the advertising mechanism, like the piece of the pie. I'm sure Instagram was one of the biggest ones of that, where people would use the the free platform, start getting a, a ton of following, and then just like pose with like an energy drink or whatever, and like get some of that that money. And then now Instagram's like, no, you can't do that. We want a piece of that. And so it might be something like that, where you're kind of doing the whole blockchain business stuff, and they want to be in on it, and they. You know, it's kind of an anti-competitive practice. Yeah, I'm, <clears throat> it definitely could be right. I mean, the banks are. You, how how often are new banks formed? It's not like there's been like one bank in the last like decade or two decades to even uh, national bank to come into existence in the U.S. I've seen it uh, with. Um, I tried to bank with Simple for a while, and a lot that experience was very good dealing with Simple. But you know, Simple wasn't allowed to be their own bank, so sometimes. Sometimes the the crappy bank that was still underneath the beautiful simple uh, APIs and UI would mm-hmm. would leak out and, and touch you, and it's it's just an awful experience. You know, we know it, the evidence is very clear. We get good experiences when there's robust competition, and we get crap experiences when there's not robust competition. And there's just not competition in banking. Yeah, by design. Uh, yes. Yeah. So how has this whole thing affected the company in terms of you know library? How's it? What are you guys going to do now? It's it's honestly no big deal. We had uh, I'm a big believer in being prepared, so we had multiple fallback accounts already at the ready. That's been true for about two years. We're picking up one new bank. Now those banks there's a similar situation to TD where we didn't like go in and be like we want to be super clear that we're a blockchain company. Uh, we now actually uh, initiated one new account. Well, so shout out to Mercury.com where they're explicitly happy to welcome the, the crypto companies. So, so kudos to them for, for picking up that piece of the market. So they're probably going to become our primary bank and, and we'll continue to, you know, with, with backup banks. Yeah, so it hasn't been really an issue because you, kind of, you kind of know that this is kind of on the horizon of any crypto company and you just want to make sure that you're absolutely like, like a prepper with all those cans of beans in the back. You're, you're ready for just, just about anything. Yeah, right. And similarly, we, you know, we also keep... Again, not too much, but we always keep some portion of our reserves in cryptocurrency for the same reason, because you just never know what could come down the pipeline at any time. Yeah. And what about uh, personal level? I know, you know, obviously it's a completely different thing from like corporate bank accounts and then just like, oh, now all my the way I conduct my business in day to day life. Yeah, didn't didn't really see this one coming. It's it's it feels more personally annoying because it's like, come on, guys, like seriously, like the. It, it's it's pretty tenuous to be doing this. Although, also, I probably would have been leaving them anyway because of what they did to the library. So, um, from one on one hand, I guess it would have been inevitable, perhaps not as prompt. So, you know, I'll, I'll go to another bank. You know, there are other banks. I'll probably end up picking a local bank this time. And what TD was kind of there due to inertia, right? That's how it is with these things. Who wants to go around bank shopping? Maybe some people get up in the morning and, and that's how they want to spend their day, but but not me. So I signed up for TD, you know, when I was 22 years old, just been at TD. And now I'll, now I'll shop around and pick a bank I think actually will do a good job. Yeah, that's, it's kind of funny because I'd sort of been on the inertia thing with the same old bank that I've been at since I was like 12 or whatever. You know, the kids' first bank account kind of deal. I just stayed with Bank of America for many years. And then finally, when my, you know, about um, back in 2016, I just had had enough when they – some random person in Florida scrawled some stuff that didn't even resemble my signature and just like cleaned out my account. 
And then after that got taken care of, I just said, I'm done with banks and just haven't had a bank account since. But, you know, I understand it's it's especially if, if you have a family, it's a lot more of a tricky situation to na- navigate in the modern world without a bank. Yeah, well, I, I, I know that you do that. And kudos to you. I've, I've seen some of your publications around that. And you're, you're, you're blazing the trail and, and teaching others how it can be done. I might have to check out that article again to see if I can make at least move a little bit more that way. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I'm always available to help on that. But it seems like this kind of thing has been in your this financial censorship idea has been around for a while since, you know, you created something that's not exactly a fiat based content platform, is it? Yeah, so what we're doing at Library is related. It's coming at it more from an angle of censorship of digital content and speech than censorship of financial transactions. But you still need that underlying blockchain technology uh, of uh, censorship-resistant or censorship-less financial transactions, even to enable things like digital content. And it's funny, you have a lot of the same dynamics where you have you know, a small number of companies who have sort of controlled the entire market, they're starting to act in anti-competitive ways and, and ways that are hurting their customers. Now here I'm talking about platforms like YouTube and, and yeah. Amazon rather than the, the big banks. But it's the same dynamics at play as to why these companies end up uh, sucking so much is the best way that I can put it. Yeah. yeah so, so what was this sucking so much um, impetus behind like library back in the day? I'm sure – you could cite so many examples since then, but yeah. like when what got the idea in your head that this is going to be something I'm going to dedicate my this portion of my life to? Sure. Well, so well, actually, so a lot of it nowadays, and is something that wasn't there quite at the start, but the behavior of YouTube, right? That YouTube is regularly demonetizing creators, hiding the way that their algorithms work. They explicitly now are giving, you know, manually human curated scores to channels and set, you know, literally a person saying, this channel's really good, bump it up the ratings. This channel's really bad, don't. And this is being done by uh, people. You can see a Reclaim the Net article on this topic. And so I think all of that that's happening is really terrible. In terms of the conception of the company, we actually wanted to fix what we saw as some problems with other decentralized technology. This came about as a way to fix what we solve as problems with BitTorrent. You know, BitTorrent works well as a technology in terms of censorship resistant, peer-to-peer, can't be controlled, but it never really worked for creators. There's no identity, there's no ability to earn money, there's, um, there's no, this one's for creators and users, there's no coherent view of the network, right? There's no decentralized way of knowing everything available on BitTorrent, right? Whereas with Library, and that's what Library is all about, it's creating a decentralized protocol that allows us to discover, uh, distribute, and optionally purchase digital content and to provide that end-to-end in a way that no one party controls. Yeah, that's you know a quite ambitious kind of a thing. It's sort of like one could say with cryptocurrency, that's at least just a payment network. But then adding on to that, say, like an open bazaar style um, decentralized marketplace thing to it, which, to my knowledge, still hasn't been done in, like, the right way. Like, I, I know there's a bunch of things, you know, Particle's another one that's come out with something like that recently. There's still, like, a lot of people trying to just do that whole, to, like, decentralize the whole economy. Yeah. And it seems like, you know, this is pretty ambitious. Uh, what are some of the big um, unforeseen challenges you kind of ran into while, while trying to to tackle this giant, <laughs> this giant undertaking? Yeah, so at Library... A big emphasis for us has been to make technology that's 
really user friendly. We're a blockchain as a how, not a why company, right? We want blockchain to enable uh, good user experiences. We're not, I like blockchain, I guess to some extent I like blockchain for its own sake, but that's like not why we pick blockchain. We pick blockchain because it can do something that nothing else can do. And, but blockchain is a really new technology. So if you want to provide a really nice user experience, sometimes something that would take one day, three days a week in centralized tech land, you have to build out this much, much more massive and new decentralized way of doing it because the tooling hasn't been built out. You can't just take that off the shelf component or what in a traditional server architecture, it's client server, it's real simple, blah, blah, blah. And now we're in decentralized land. And so we need to deal with a much, the amount of cases is exponential compared to the simple case of, of client server. So I'd say that's part of it. And, and I would encourage you know, your audience, if they're not you're losing, using library to go, go and check it out, you know, you'll see the user experience is pretty good. And the amount of work that we had to put into that at times to get it there um, could be very underestimated. Yeah, I mean, I, I get it completely. And I um, mean, hopefully I'll put this out on library first and then just have it like an exclusive for a while just so everyone actually is forced <laughs> to check out the platform to check out what you have to say to actually see because I'm, that's another reason why like my whole ethos of trying to live all off of crypto is, isn't just some holier than now thing or it isn't because it's necessarily practical, but it's because it is practical if you want to actually learn the technology, you have to use it, you have to rely on it. And it's one of those things where user experience, like I, I'm a very low, like macro patients I have a lot of, micro patients I have none of. Like I just, it doesn't work, I'm just done with it. And so I'm trying to use all these blockchain based things. And a lot of people say, yeah, you use it because it's on the blockchain. And they're terrible, a lot of them. Like I'm not even, I'm not being a mean person by saying this. It's just, it, it's very amateurish because there isn't that kind of competitive like world. Like now anyone can just sort of do a thing. And there's some, some platforms I, I appreciate a lot and I'm going to be very like <laughs> tread around actually mentioning anything spice, anything specifically. So people's feelings don't get hurt in this case, but there's a lot of platforms that are pretty good and I like them a lot, but then they just look like they make like Reddit look pretty. Like yeah. it just, just so ugly so non-intuitive and even some of the more intuitive ones it's like wow this is great like i look at this and everyone's raving about it it's fantastic until i take a step back and then compare it to say twitter like yeah. crypto version of twitter versus actual twitter and i'm like oh this is they're doing such a good job here until i look back i'm like wait a second this isn't up to industry standards yeah, that's 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 exactly right. And while I think we're one of the best D apps out there in terms of user experience, truthfully, I can't even say now that we're better than YouTube at everything. It's a it's a tall task. But one big thing that we are better at and that they can never do, and that's key when you're from a startup entrepreneurial sense, right? If you're gonna take on someone big, you better be taking them on in a way that you're doing something that they can't just copy it. Right? Oh, that's a that's a cool way of of displaying the content. Well, oh, we that's mine now. I, I made this right. Yeah, you know uh, that whole that whole meme. Uh, the uh, with with this design, right? It's like it, it's the same thing as uh, as the bank thing, right? YouTube is the bank, and when the bank compared to crypto in 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 uh, in YouTube and Bankland, all of the control is in their hands. Everything goes through their piping, their server. 
in uh, in Bitcoin land for you know for money and in library land for digital content, the control is local. So a creator's keys to his channel, they're on they can be on his computer. They can be entirely in his or her control, and that means that in the same way that we can you know, take that financial control back from these institutions, we can take our creative control and our speech control back from these companies. Yeah, and that's one of the more difficult challenges with user experience is how do you take all that philosophical stuff or practical in a long-term sense, how do you take that and like, how does it translate into the now, into the short term? And uh, so for example, one way it really did was when all of crypto YouTube just freaked out because they thought their channels were getting shut down and then they just jump over library because now it's literally, I can't do that on YouTube. I can't do it here. And then YouTube comes back online. You're like, Oh, we clarified some stuff. And then a lot of people are still floating around there. Um, one thing I noticed is because I'm just jumping on every platform I can right now. I'm just like trying to test it all out, see what works because, you know, if we're living this great experiment of decentralization and fantastic new technology, we might as well know what we're talking about. And one thing I noticed as far as like what I like to check, what I like, what the competitive advantage is number one, is there content on there that there isn't on the other channels? Like what can I get here that I can't get anywhere else? And with censorship, of course, you'll find a lot of very censored things to end up on these on uncensored platforms. But the other thing is, do can I basically do what I was doing elsewhere, but get money for it? And so, for example, I've been using Brave Browser for a while. I've been searching through pre-search and both of those things, rather than, you know, Google Chrome or Google search, it's, it's pretty competitive. Like it's very similar. I'm not really using, but I'm getting little, little bits of money for it. And it's like, that's just, there you go. Switched done. I'm switched. And so I'm, I'm assuming, I'm assuming that with library, if, if it's like YouTube, but you can kind of get paid a little for it. I think that that's already going to be a giant compelling reason for people to switch. Don't you think? Oh, absolutely. And, and, and they already are, you know, you, we have uh, something like 30,000 YouTubers who are publishing the library, another 10 or 20,000 brand new original creators. We have, more than 40 YouTubers with a million or more subscribers who are, are publishing the library. I mean, you can find some really popular mainstream content on there. You can find content, you know, from people like, you know, um, like Veritasium, 3Blue1Brown. And we have like, a, there's a, yeah, what was the, uh, the most recent one is escaping me, but a bunch of like big video gamers. There's Hollywood content on there. There's a, there's a Hollywood studio that's publishing their films to library. You know, so wow. this is, this is not just, you can find some of that underground stuff, that stuff that's not available on other platforms, right? So if you want to find some of the, the videos about, you know, the coronavirus that YouTube was blocking or deleting, or you want to find, um, you know, the video of, of Rand Paul saying uh, who uh, who the Donald Trump whistleblower is that the, the mainstream platforms were deleting, you know, you can find that stuff on there too. But you can also find just totally normal stuff and you can now consume it in a way where you don't have to be, you know, surrendering your soul to YouTube. Yeah. So when creating new content platforms or new, any kind of product, uh, a lot of times what people do is they do a lot of market research and they figure out like, what's one segment of the market that we can absolutely capture as being possibly, possibly underserved that we can really get now crypto I've noticed has been a little bit more of the wild west in that where you just, 
you think more broadly and conceptually, then you put out the product, and then you just sometimes completely surprised at what kind of customer it attracts. And uh, the a story I like to tell about that is there was this um, supermarket in the Arizona area called Food City, basically the Kmart of supermarkets, just this awful and meant for the dustbin of history. And then they figured out at, while they were like struggling that a lot of Mexicans were shopping there. Because it just the vibe of the place reminded them of supermarkets back home. And so they just leaned into that and started offering like all the Mexican stuff, playing mariachi music and everything in the stores. And then they reinvented themselves by falling onto that weird cust- this customer base they did not intend at all. So what is what are some of the surprises with library user base that like what kind of weird people have you kind of attracted that you just did not either specifically seek for or completely surprised? Yeah, that's that's a great question. Um, so, and one we do do a lot of that where we sort of try experiments or see what's working and 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 double down in that direction. Um, one audience that's been very good for us that I guess I wouldn't have expected or was has been the the community who has questions about the number of dimensions of the Earth. So, for example, is it uh, two-dimensional or perhaps three-dimensional? Some people, I guess, this is now a thing that people are disagreeing about. Uh, and I had like that takes flat Earth to a whole new dimension. Yeah, that's, that's part of the many Earth. puns. I was being I was being oblique, yeah. Uh, and uh, so, uh, yeah. this community struggles uh, with YouTube, and they were thrilled to find a platform, and they were welcome. There is an individual who is a member of that community who made a video about why library is the right place to publish your content on YouTube. And, and it's gotten more than a million views. And so while I guess to be clear, I didn't know this is something we still need to make clear these days. I do believe that the earth is, is three dimensional. What a wonderful Look, world. I, I totally welcome those guys, man. And I think what happened to them is awful because like, you should. This is this is ultimately a scientific argument, and it's it's a really silly thing to be censoring. And if we're going to censor scientific arguments that ninety nine percent of people think are wrong, there's a lot of past scientific arguments that ended up being right that would have gotten censored. So, I you know I I will absolutely go to bat for those guys that they should be allowed to say what they want to say. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's definitely weird. Uh, that's weird, but that's the most unexpected audience to to really fall in love with library. Yeah, you could think though. It seems to be very self. Um, it seems to be if you actually think about it for a second, it's extremely natural because, as far as I can tell, the conspiracy videos are some of the biggest segments of YouTube that have just disappeared from the platform. As far as like, there's always like, well, crypto is crypto still all over the place on YouTube. Some things have gone away. Some things have been more difficult. It's still all there. Adult content was never a big thing on YouTube. I mean, sometimes here and there it still pops up. But like, as far as a community of like right wing, but specifically conspiracy right wing type stuff seems to be the stuff that YouTube is just like axed. And so there you go. The the nice piece of the pie fits right over here. Right, right. The, the, the question is, and the thing that we want to be careful about is, you take the example you gave of, I forget the name of the supermarket, but the one that became the... Food the, City. Food City. Or, okay. El Food City. Right. I want to say. So the question is that, that you might be able to carve out a, a great business niche, but library isn't looking to be just a business niche, right? We want to be the, the best way to distribute all digital content online. And we believe that the design of our technology 
which is, I think, quite revolutionary and, and documented at lbry.tech, um, you know, that, that has really, really broad applications. And so the one thing that we're very careful about and I want to emphasize here is you know, creating a space where there's all kinds of stuff. So while we were a little bit surprised that this community adopted it, and yes, you can find some conspiracy-style content that's also adopted it, there's tons of mainstream stuff and great stuff, and there's a really wide continuum of what's available. And we're talking about about 2.5 million things available on the network already. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's pretty impressive. And as I, anytime you're in a, what what one would call an unregulated space, which doesn't mean that there's no regulations, rules, but in generally, a if you put free speech as your your utter your your censorship resistance is your like number one thing, there's going to be a lot of weird stuff that happens. And as someone who's moderated quite a few decentralized communities, um, I've noticed that there's a lot you can't. Sometimes the choice to not moderate is a moderation choice in and of itself to prioritize the louder, more aggressive, whatever. Yeah. And so first off, have you had any challenges uh, with, let's just say, actually undesirable content showing up and then how, it, or overwhelming like front pages and stuff like that? And how have you dealt with that kind of thing of just, oh, I wanted to have a great general content platform, but all I can see is like pages and pages of smut videos whenever I get into the library, for example. It's- yeah, so we've had we've had very we had very little of that. We do have a problem, and if if content if people are abusing or mislabeling content, so people you know say putting content there's, there's pornographic content on library. It's an open protocol. We can't control what people publish it to to it, right? So our attitude is make sure like absolutely be labeling it properly. Default people into clean and and safe and sheltered experiences and never show anything to someone unless they're opting in and, and saying they want to see it. That's sort of our solution to that problem. Um, and if, but if people aren't doing that, right, if people are, are mislabeling their content, whether maliciously or just putting adult content, not labeling it, we have the ability to mark those channels as sort of breaking the rules and then that content can be filtered out so that clients don't see it optionally. Again, if you want to configure your client so you can see even the people who are outright lying to you, right? We can't remove anything from the network. I want to be, I want to be very clear about what we can and can't do, but what we can do is build filters on top of it. Same way that, you know, Gmail can't stop a spammer from sending a spam email, but they can put a filter in between the spammer and you and and keep the spam out. And so that's generally how we deal with this kind of stuff. The more common thing is is people kind of trying to go up to the line and not and not crossing it, you know, because if you put uh, a provocative picture that may, you know, maybe it's a, a attractive person, maybe it's just provocative in some way, you get people to click it, you know, and we and but people aren't necessarily happy that they clicked it once they get on the other side. It wasn't what they wanted, so that that is probably the one of the bigger problems that we are facing and actively working on and trying to make sure that we can incentivize the right kind of behavior, but less so like really dark, bad stuff that hasn't happened very much. Yeah. Um, what about there's the old YouTube adage of don't read the comments. Right. And I'm sure in a less, in a more Yahoo kind of an area, I'm sure that you have some, that kind of stuff too, where you have people who are just, harassing or bullying or just like saying all kinds of mean dark nasty stuff on everyone on comments of videos and things like that uh what's what kind of filtration systems do you have in place to do that and have you run into any kind of like you're censoring me bro kind of stuff 
Yeah. So actually, this is a problem that's still an area of active work. We do have commenting, and there have been, I think, 40, 50,000 comments posted already. But commenting is basically the only aspect of the library app usage that's not properly decentralized right now. And you'll see this if you go in to make a comment. We're always very clear about this, so you should assume it's decentralized unless we tell you otherwise. And if you click in that comment box, it'll say, commenting is in alpha, we're doing a centralized version while we figure some things out. And so right now, commenting works in, we, we still have the control. It doesn't have that censorship resistance that the rest of the network does. And we're kind of working through these problems. How do you get commenting done right in a decentralized way? What's the right balance of control? Should a creator be able to do whatever they want and delete whatever they want from their channel? But what if a creator had posted something bad and a user is giving useful feedback and letting people know, you know, so where do you, who, where does that control reside? How do you deal with users who are being malicious or abusive? There's a lot of questions that we're still working out. And are, that's why we're working them out in centralized land, because once you're in decentralized land, it's it's much harder to evolve the system. Yeah, that's one thing I noticed is there seem to be two giant differences in approach, which I don't know, to be frank, which one's the easier one of do you start radically decentralized or do you start radically useful? And then where do you, and eventually you're trying to get to that perfect marriage between the two. But it's Bitcoin is one of those weird things that it, as the technology it started as something that kind of just worked from the get go and you kind of built usability on there and are still trying to, you know, with all its various children forks and things like that, we're all trying to approach that. But then you have things like, for example, um, you know, which this will, of course, date the video, the whole recent IOTA uh, yeah. conundrum of, oh, we got to pause the whole network because there's some someone hacked the, the wallet. And eventually we'll get rid of absolute centralized control that exists on the network, but you know, not today. And yeah. so eventually it might be a thing where if you start entirely centralized, you might just get used to just doing business and never get all the way out there. But then if you start completely decentralized, you just might hit these giant usability hurdles. You just never get enough traction or enough people caring about the platform, and it kind of peters out to to nothingness. What do you think is the balance in that? That's a great question, and I think the right answer is probably that it is a balance, and that these trade-offs are absolutely there, and, and you, you laid them out, I think, perfectly. And our answer has – what we've done for the most part is to start radically decentralized. Like if, and you can look at the, the history of the development of the library protocol. Right, We started with a command line version with no UI that was properly decentralized. We didn't launch the web version. You could call this the Coinbase version mm. until three months ago, until, until November 2019. So we, didn't, we built all the way up and up and up and up and out. And out the stack, and even the even the technical design of the web version is still designed so that you have a personal wallet. That custody can still end up being just with you, and a bunch of other choices that other platforms don't make. I think if you're going to trust the platform is actually going to be decentralized, I think you have to pick ones that are working that way. I think you have to. I you know people, and that's why people have been so skeptical of IOTA for such a long time, and people should only be more skeptical of it now. I'm not saying that hash graphs aren't an interesting technology. They just might not work for everything that they, they want them to do. And so, yeah, that's my answer is it because that because that's the parts that's different. You couldn't the saying you can do it top down is saying like Bitcoin could have been built by making Coinbase first and then Bitcoin. It's just nonsensical. Mm -hmm. 
PayPal didn't, yeah. PayPal didn't lead to creating Bitcoin, right? Like PayPal was, look at PayPal is a great example, right? PayPal was created to be sort of much more subversive thing than it ended up being, right? They want, they wanted to fight the banks and they wanted to fight the lack of, they wanted to be digital money. And then they ran into regulations and they're like, I guess we'll become this thing instead. You know, so if you don't start with that core part baked in, I think it's really tough to add it later. I can't think of a single company that has. Yeah, and that's a good thing about the open source nature of cryptocurrency that and all the blockchain technologies, you can just kind of copy and paste and do it better differently or whatever. So it's not like, oh, it becomes so, for example, say all mining of Bitcoin or whatever coins or say something BTC collapses, BCH collapses. We're only left with SV now. Still works like the rest of the Bitcoins, except it scales, except um, now you have like one company in charge of a lot of stuff or maybe all the mining power is concentrated and ends up having censorship of transactions. It's not like you, then you can't just copy that code base like has been done thousands of times before with Bitcoin and just have another thing that's built on that. Yeah, exactly. And it's has exactly anyone right. copied library that to your knowledge or and and second question now has anyone meaningful copied it or done anything meaningful? So there was this company, we never looked into it too much. There was a company in China that had copied a bunch of our source code, which is perfectly legal. Our source code mm -hmm. is MIT licensed. And I don't know if that project came to fruition. I someone pointed it out to me. And of course, as they frequently do, they don't even you know they don't even care to to Take your name off of everything, right? You could go into their code and and our our <laughs> our, our comments and everything is still there. Which the is funny. That, yeah. As a side note on that, um, the the Venezuelan Petro was forked from Dash, and it's still if you looked in the code, the Duff after Evan Duffield, the founder, is still in the code there somewhere. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So there, these people who aren't, you know, they're they're not um, well. Not only they're not they're neither scrupulous nor. Uh, uh, I can't think of the word. Uh, there's, I was thinking, I guess, another S word uh, about uh, looking through it. Anyway, the um, the answer to the question is, I think that it's you could copy the tech, but that doesn't copy the most important things, right? It's generally not technology itself that locks us into a platform. If you look at Facebook. Facebook would not be the easiest thing to copy. It's a well-engineered program, and there's much more complexity there than even appears on the surface. But if you had a full copy of Facebook's code, would you immediately be a competitor for Facebook? You Probably not. You wouldn't be, because, because if I put up Facebook2.com that works just like Facebook, no ads, well, I create an account and no one's on it. Everyone's still on exactly. Facebook. It's going to go back to Facebook. So I think there's a similar dynamic here where, sure, you could copy the library code. And please go ahead. And if you can use it for your project, I support that entirely. I'm all about open source. But if you you can't bring the audience. And so you in terms of uh, – and, and this is only going to get harder the bigger the library gets. That the, not only can you not copy the audience, you can't copy the blockchain data. right? It would be illegal to replicate – because people have made a publish there. They're saying, I'm making this available to the library network. To copy that and to, to put it into your blockchain would be just as illegal as you know, downloading someone's video that you don't have permission to and, and putting it somewhere else. So you, you can't get the content. You can't get the users. The, the code is, is not what's the most valuable thing. Yeah, and one thing I've noticed with this whole – decentralized platform revolution where there's just a million things all over the place um back 
back in the like muggle world, the like the non crypto savvy world, it's always like the the four horsemen of content apocalypse, right? You got Facebook, you got Twitter, you got Instagram, and kind of LinkedIn. And there's just everything else who cares, kind of. And it's pretty yeah. simple. Some people just say, I'm on Twitter, and that's it. And now I noticed that they, my fellow crypto content producers are like, hey, check me out on Library, DTube, BitTube, Steemit. Oh, you know, I'm on Float, Floix, I'm on Memo.cash, I'm on Read.cash, I'm on Twitch, I'm on just, you know, Streamanity. I'm on it. And there's just, they, they actually have to have like a link that, like a link tree. And you click on it, and it's like, like 50 million little things out there. And, you know, of course, I'm you know, guilty of this exact same thing because, first off, you want to maximize your reach. And second, a clear victor in the content, the decentralized content wars has not come out. Like an industry leader or a top two or three has not emerged. So do you see that as a just an early in the game kind of a thing where everyone's just figuring stuff out and eventually you will have a couple of couple dominant players? Or do you think there's something fundamentally different to where... You know, 10 years from now, when everything's decentralized, everyone's going to be on 10, 12 platforms. Yeah, I think it's more the former where you, there's not. Well, some of these I wouldn't necessarily say is, are interchangeable. Like LinkedIn is different than Facebook is different than these things. And and you so some platforms in terms of what library does, I would say we're closer to a to a YouTube or maybe a Reddit because we support publishing additional file types. So you could think of it as, as something closer to that. We're not trying to be a Twitter. We're not trying to be a Facebook. We're not, you know, so so site so companies that are trying to compete in that space, there there's there's, you know, they're different things. In terms of the video ones, I, well, one if you compare the actual traffic that we've got to any of these, I do think you'll you'll see that we're already beating them. Put them into Alexa. The other thing that you can do is that a lot of these aren't decentralized. Okay, they may have a website and they may be free speech oriented, <clears throat> so you can trust they're not going to delete your content. But if there is not a real peer to peer app that you can download and use, they haven't built a decentralized network. And similar to the answer that I gave earlier, I don't think it works that way. I don't think you get a, a million visitors on your website and then you're like, oh, but we're really going to keep working hard on the decentralized one. We're, gonna, we're not going to keep making the web one better. We're going to keep working really hard on the decentralized one. It just doesn't happen. So these places that say that they're these blockchain platforms, but you can only use them in a website, it's just PayPal, okay? It's not Bitcoin. And so if you want the Bitcoin experience of digital content, come onto a platform like Library where there's a real peer-to-peer -peer app. Wow, that's a, that's a pretty good dunk at the end there. I think if I would throw in one last question, it would be, is are there any challenges you faced from having a unique token rather than trying to like run on a well-established crypto network? If so, what are those challenges quickly? And what is the um, what have you done to kind of get around that? Uh, well, I don't know if I mentioned this, but uh, recently TD Bank closed our bank account. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Uh, so there, well, yeah. So we came at this company. We're a weird company, I think, in the crypto space. We didn't do an ICO. We don't try to promote the purchasing of the token. We promote the usage of the platform. Get the token because you want to publish digital content. Don't buy the token so that you can like HODL, Lambo, whatever. I mean, look, teacher, people do whatever they want, right? But my focus is on getting people to use this and on making usable software. My focus is not on, you know, we, we are on exchanges and we do pursue exchange relationships so, that, so people can buy and sell it and so on. 
but our focus is on like creating really good software. And we believe that if we continue to do that and the audience continues to grow, which it is substantially, 200,000 200, people uh, checked something out on the library last week, then everything else will follow and everything else will be okay. Yeah. So there have there been any issues with people trying to use a platform? Then they realize they need a token to do it that they don't currently have. And they just kind of, eh, they get bored and run away. Uh, our onboarding continues to get better. That's something I look at uh, on a, basically a weekly or, or multiple times a week basis. We've probably redesigned our first run of the library app experience more than 20, 25 times while I've been at the company. Right now, you get a little bit for free. And we should also make sure we get your you know, channel and invite link. Obviously, if people are watching this on library. They don't need to know about it. But if people are seeing it elsewhere, we'll get your invite link in there. And so anyone who signs up via your invite link gets 25 LBC free. 25 LBC is you know already enough for thousands of publishers. So you can get pretty far. Okay, fantastic. Well, hopefully this attracts a lot of attention to the platform, but also hopefully it attracts a lot of attention to the inherent fragility of trusting centralized systems and just taking for granted someone's permission that because you have their per permission to transact financially, you think you'll always have that permission. And unfortunately, it doesn't quite shake out that way. So um, here's the all the best in the continuing uh, flourishing of the platform and the company. And enjoy your sweet time in the unbanked world. It's going to be, it might be fleeting, but it is sweet. Thanks. It was great to talk to you.